Second reading is also from John, but chapter 9. Chapter 9, verses 1 to 12. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciple asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva and put it on the eyes of the man. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbor and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they demanded. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes, and he told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. That is the word of the Lord. Well, we're going to know, and we're going to learn, and we're going to see that Jesus is indeed the great light. We have uh, preached through chapters 1 through 8 already sometime in the past years, arriving now in year chapter 9. At the end of chapter 8, however, if we remember it, we read about a crowd picking up stones in the temple yard to do away with God's Son in the person of Jesus. It was a time when the assembled evil of man, obviously spurred on by Satan no less, had in mind to get rid of the man of truth, the son of God no less, the man who had created them all. But he had also been the God that had brought them out of slavery of Egypt, which is what they nearly worshipped through Moses. And of course the people in Jerusalem of the day had not at any time acknowledged Jesus actually to be God. We have in the Gospel of John, we have a few places where Jesus himself uses the term about himself that says, I am the light. In so many things, we need to grasp the context in which he uses this term about himself. And that will also shed then some light, if you like, on the passage we have here today. But let us pray and let us seek some clarity and true understanding. Our gracious God, we come to ask you that you may indeed open our hearts. It is in our hearts, Lord, that our faith lives and from where it all comes. We pray that you will indeed strengthen our hearts and our faith through your Holy Spirit, his guiding and his teaching. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
The first four or even eight chapters of John are speaking of the fact that the light has come into the world. In one, John, John 1 9, he write, John writes, The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. The fact that Jesus is that light is of greatest importance to both you and me, all of us. When we use the word light in this context, we also mean to say that it is the revelation of the truth of God that we see. And we also see, as we move on from here, the light or this truth and how offensive that is to the world at large. It works much in the same way as a thief that doesn't want to conduct his business while there's light shining where he is. All clandestine evil business is always best conducted in darkness. We know that. So we have here the light interacting with the world and the world had wanted to stone him, to kill him, to do away with him. What we're seeing here is this incredible difference between the commitment, the focus and love of God and that of man. Jesus had just had a massive rejection by the leadership of the temple and the people in the temple courts, as well as all the people around them. See, if this had been you and I, if you and I had been in that place and been rejected in the way Jesus was rejected, we would have been hightailing it out of there with no regard for anyone or anything else. It was all going to be about getting away from there. We had a focus if it had been us. It was focused on our own hide and saving it. But we read in the Bible here, as he went along he saw a man blind from birth. Notice it doesn't say as he flees from this place. He says as he went along, as he trundles along just walking casually. He's just been threatened with his life. Most of the handicapped people of the day would have been sitting around the vicinity of the temple, indeed in the temple uh, gates, where after all, all the, the, the godly people would be coming to the temple to worship God, would be worshipping the God that created them, and, and should by all standards, as they arrive into this temple court or in church, they should all have some sort of compassion springing up in their hearts, don't you think? And therefore, these people that are handicapped, sitting there begging, are also therefore should have an increased chance of receiving some arms to live on. It is in this area that Jesus spots the blind man. He's sitting there at the gate. In other words, he's not a long distance from the temple court or the temple itself where the people have been wanting to stone him to death. It's only a literally stone throw away. We can, from this opening verse in chapter 9, also get this incredible understanding about the absolute focus and the commitment found in the person of Jesus. There is nothing, not even a threat against his own life, that will distract him from the work that the Father had given him. In other words, there is nothing man can do that will frustrate the Lord. Not even man's hatred of Jesus can frustrate God. And with that goes without saying 
Not even man's sin will frustrate God. No matter the circumstances, God accomplishes his purpose sovereignly, saving by grace those whom he chooses to call to himself. And it is therefore also good for you and I to arrive yet again at the firm conclusion that there is no matter what gets in our way when we serve the Lord, nothing can frustrate or distract the plans God has for his world and especially for his chosen people. And we need to have that in our minds and our hearts as we serve him, that we are in his plan under his protection. Paul strongly confirms this in Romans 3.15 as far as the choosing. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. As we also know, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love that is in God in Christ Jesus. When you realize Jesus did not walk far before he found this blind man, and when he stopped to interact with him and to heal him. All with his deadly enemies not far from where they stood, we get a real picture of what trusting the Father truly means. There was no fear in Jesus. He was not going to get harmed. You might think that's also a bit unfair. On the other hand, Jesus is, after all, so he is God, and he cannot be compared to us really in any way in that regard, and of course you'd be right. We can't compare to Jesus. But the message is still there for all to see, especially for the disciples that are walking there with him. Humanly speaking, they would have probably preferred Jesus to have put some more additional distance between them and the mob before stopping to do the work of the Lord, to be ministering to the people. And so would we if we had been there. It would have been nice to have just an extra couple of kilometers between us and the mob, I would think. No, the world with all its evil intent, as I said, will not hinder or frustrate the God that we serve. In fulfilling every single minute part of his plan for his own creation and for the people that he has chosen to show mercy to. And since they lived in Old Testament times, while this has been written, the issue of sin in people's lives become a question on the disciples' lips. In verse 2, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? See, on that day, it's actually a quite a meaningful question because of the law that they live under. But of course, they lack spiritual insight when they ask such a question. This blind man in the context of this story is almost a symbol of the conditions of the world that they lived in and that we live in. On the one hand, we have the leaders of the society, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the temple servants, with the ability to physically see things, but spiritually, absolutely and utterly blind. And on the other hand, we have this man who is physically unable to see physically anything. But at the end of the story, we're able to, he, he can see both physically 
but also spiritually as he worships Jesus as his Savior and the Son of God, which is exactly the answer that gets from Jesus in verse 3. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened that the work of God might be displayed in his life. This was the sixth miracle that Jesus performed. There are so many people mentioned throughout the Bible that we could say have had, well, let's call them, they've had difficulties of some kind. They required the hand of God to correct that problem. Men like Moses, David and Paul, and obviously now this blind man. And each one is a signboard for us, for you and me, showing both sides of the man from the sinners to be saved, instructed and sustained by God for God. That's all it is about. So I am and you are like this blind man. We too have been given the light of day. So he and you can be witnesses to the great mercy of grace in God. This man will be the witness. He will be the witness in proclaiming Jesus to be his saviour. And so should we. In verse 4, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me, Jesus says. Night is coming when no one can work. Are we in a time when we're almost working as if we don't even have a timepiece? We don't understand time. We just don't know how long that day is going to be, how long we're going to have the light to work in and dark. We just got to keep going until it actually turns dark. And darkness, I can assure you, is coming. A man called Dr. Henry, Carl Henry spoke of this darkness in an address some years back. The barbarians are coming, he said. And continued to explain what he meant. He likened this unrush of paganism to that the barbarians rushing on Rome in those, back in those days. He says, they're coming in science through the misuse of new discoveries. They're coming in communications as men discover ways to manipulate public opinion for bad ends. In the religious realm, giving way to the occult, the cults, and Satanism. Church leaders will encourage situational ethics instead of theology and doctrine. And the divide between a Christian and a worldly will hardly be noticeable. Harsh words. This was in the early 80s, late 70s. It's over 40 years ago. It is what we live in. We are truly living in this today. So how much more daylight do you think we're going to have? Number five. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Well, Jesus is still in the world. And his light shines. He shines through his churches and through his people that he has chosen, as we read in 1 Thessalonians 4.17. There will come a day when he returns and takes us away from the world as well. It says in that verse, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds 
to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall be wherever for be with the Lord. Then the darkness will cover the earth. There's a darkness coming. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Sixth miracle, again. Another miracle by Jesus strengthened the faith of the disciples that was going to be left as he left and went, went back to heaven. And also to help you and I better understand the core of the ministry of Jesus. In verse 8, his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked a question, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was, others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am that man. As times change, the world reacts in the same way, same manner. People just like the Pharisees can actually see the physical world that they live in, but they're spiritually absolutely and utterly blind. They instinctively know that this man, but they also do not believe or trust their eyes. They don't even believe what they're seeing physically. In verse 10, how then were your eyes open, they demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. And I went and washed and then I could see. For this man, it was such a simple thing. Jesus had done something, asked him to do something and he did it and he can see. It's not that hard. And it should be the same for you and I, really. There are things in our lives that are difficult for our friends and families to get a grip on. But surely, we must consider our faith, quite simply, one gift from God. Nothing that we have done, but all that he has given us. This man knew it had been Jesus that had put the mud on his eyes and had told him to go and wash, after which he could see for the first time in his life. He had known from hearing possibly the conversation between Jesus and the disciples, no doubt. He also had no doubt heard that other miracles have been done by Jesus because there were five miracles done before this time. There were no reason whatsoever for this man to doubt, but every reason for him to believe on Jesus. Every reason. Jesus had literally shined his light into this man's life and blessed him with physical and spiritual sight. But when asked, where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. Of course he didn't. He had been with Jesus, had mud in his eyes, had walked away to the pool to wash. So he had never seen Jesus and wouldn't have known where he was. Up until now, the man had not seen Jesus and therefore, having not seen Jesus, did not mean that he had not believed on him. It was faith. It was the knowledge in his heart that he knew it was Jesus. So what is this situation similar to yours? During the days of Jesus, after his resurrection, 
there had been a man called Thomas who claimed he could not believe unless he personally saw where the nails had been placed in the hands of Jesus and he was indeed reprimanded by Jesus for that. In John 20, 29, Jesus said, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Well, we, you and I, certainly have not seen Jesus, physically speaking. Jesus had told this man, go wash, and had opened the eyes for him. Many years ago, I was told much the same thing. I was told, go read a book. And Jesus opened my eyes to his light. Same thing. We all had some sort of experience similar to this at some time in our lives as we are given our lives to God. We just need to remember that when God in his mercy calls you to be his, he will also have placed his Holy Spirit in you so that you can recognize the true light that is now shining in your life. Without the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't even recognize it, which is what problems Pharisees got. They have no idea what they're looking at. This story is about seeing the light and responding to it. It is also about understanding and I should say accepting fully that there is nothing in all creation that will ever be able to prevent you from being with the Lord when he decides that the time is right to call you home. Nothing can prevent that. Also remember, believing on him is not something you decided to do out of kindness of your heart but what he decided out of his loving heart to call you to be his. This is also why we can trust that he will not be frustrated with you. He ought to be, but he's not because he knows you. You're his by his grace, by his mercy, and with his blessings. We have been given the light. Let us shine some light into this dark world before it's too late, before the darkness takes us. Let us pray. Our loving and gracious Father, we do come to you to thank you yet again for your word. For your faithful servant, John, that wrote it all down as you gave it to him. For your Holy Spirit that opened this truth to us, that we too can see Jesus, understand who he is, and believe on him. Be with us, Lord, and bless us, uphold us, and indeed sustain us, that we may serve you all the days of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.